0: Hi, good morning. Good to see everybody here today uh, again, and welcome to you guys that are joining us online. So a real quick update, um, if you didn't notice on the way in, a couple changes out there, uh, some exciting things going on. So one, uh, we if you didn't notice, we're selling t-shirts uh, to go along with this series just as a reminder um, of kind of our action steps throughout the week, to be reminded of the things that God is calling us to do. So T-shirts are still for sale. You can pick one up out in the Cafe of Hope. But to give you an idea from last week, this is pretty exciting, we sold out uh, last week and we ordered a bunch more. And if you didn't know, uh, for every t-shirt that's sold, we're giving away five, uh, $5 back into the community. So last week we had $1,200. That's right, right, Jennifer? So $1,200 uh, because you guys participated in buying shirts that we can give back uh, into the community. So let's sell them out again. We'll order some more and we'll keep order men, selling them out. We just are praying that we can continue to give money away and it can be a continual reminder of the call that God has for life. The other thing is, if you notice walking in, uh, on the wall there is a new uh, opportunity for you and it talks about the whole live different and the scripture that goes with it. Um, and so on that wall, starting on Monday, there'll be resources and things that you can get to go along with the series on that wall. So we'd love for you to, if you're in the Cafe of Hope during the week, stop, grab some of those resources It'll help in the process of making it from not just a Sunday morning experience, but from a lifelong uh, changing experience. And then again, if you don't make it into the Cafe of Hope this week, it'll be an opportunity for when you come back next Sunday, there'll be uh, resources and opportunities for you there. All right, so let's talk about this idea of this new series we talked about, Live Different. Here's the the bottom line. I'm not gonna recap uh, everything because obviously I talk too much anyway and go over every single week. So if you didn't know or didn't uh, see what we did last week, go online, uh, go onto our app, watch the message, which kind of set up this idea. Here's here's the problem. Um, For me personally, growing up and when I was new in my faith, this was an accepted practice that I don't think scripture accepts. That is, there's this idea that there are the on-fire Christians and the Christians who do nothing, but they're both Christians, right? Like that somehow was, like you can be the people that are out there doing it, or you can be the people that claim it and do nothing about it. But everybody would say, well, I mean, at least they claim Jesus. So here's my challenge to you. You don't find that anywhere in Scripture. So there is nowhere in scripture that would say you can claim Christianity and not live different, right? Like there is, you don't see that. If you claim Christ, things change. That's just the way that it goes, right? And so the level of change is is dependent upon each person and that's not what we're talking about. But the bigger idea is this. If you find yourself at a place of claiming Christ, and your life is no different than those in the world, you might wanna check your claim. That would be, that's what I hope this series does. And again, uh, it's not to point fingers, it's not to make people feel guilty, it's just the idea that let's really look at what scripture says and let's, let's apply it. And, and this whole series is about understanding different aspects so that you can take your faith and live differently. Now. We set it up with this idea. So we looked in the beginning in Daniel 1, talking about this idea that there's this idea of the uh, historical Babylon. Right? So if, if you uh, know about the historical Babylon, the historical Babylon was uh, a country that would take over other people and they would bring them in and they would turn them into Babylonians, right? That was the idea. So the the crazy part is is that there is the historical Babylon and the prophetic Babylon, like what is to come that you read about um, in Revelations. And in in the New Testament, when we read about, there's this idea of the spirit of Babylon that's happening in the world today, right? So the spirit of Babylon is this idea that somehow, right, this is Satan's plan. Satan's plan, the same as the historical Babylon, in our current world, the spirit of Babylon, and what you will see to come is the same as what you saw historically. One, Satan knows this. If you can win a generation, you can change the world. That's what he knows. He knows that if he can affect a generation of young people, right? If he can move a generation of young people off-center, if he can move a generation of people into the way that everybody else lives, he is able to then move in the direction or do the things that he wants to do through a younger generation. And it'll take time, but Satan's patient, right? One generation at a time, and we see this, and I think that you could say that you could see this if you go back over the past 30 years, it's small decisions over each generation that got us to the place we are today. So the question is, how do you reverse it, right? Because you can reverse it. How do we reverse it? Change a generation to change the world. That's how you reverse it, right? If we wanna make a difference, so old people, that's us, right? Like the older generation, if you wanna change it, stop complaining about the younger generation and do something about it, right? Like, you can't sit back and point fingers and wonder why, but not give your life to change it, right? Like, you just can't do that. Like, you can't, well, you can. (laughs) It's just not gonna do any good. We need to look at it and say, so how can God use us in the middle of that? So the idea of this series is living differently to combat the spirit of Babylon and bring in the spirit of Christ and change the world. I think that's what we can do. Are we good? All right, so we're gonna be looking at a couple different scripture verses today. So one's gonna be 1 Peter. So if you follow along in your Bible or follow along in your phone, either way. So 1 Peter, that's gonna be one. So 1 Peter 2, 11 through 17, and then all of Daniel 3. So New Testament, 1 Peter, and then all of Daniel 3 uh, when we go through it. So we're gonna set it up by this idea, again, going back to how do we combat against the spirit of Babylon? So we're gonna look at that and Make, help you make a foundational decision. And then the next thing we're gonna do, and I'll bring it up again, we talked about it last week, we're gonna focus on it this week. Nobody likes tests, right? We know this. Nobody likes tests, but everybody likes tested things, right? And here's what you're gonna see. Here's the reality. And, and I'll bring this up probably multiple times. When you are tested, you have a Testimony right? Like that's the idea. When the tests come, the testimony comes with it. And so the idea is, is that the tests that God's allowing us to go through are going to be a testimony living differently to change the world. Okay, so that's what we're going to be focusing on today. So we'll look at like how were the people tested in scripture and how are we being tested today? But let's look at First Peter 2, starting in verse 11 first. Here's what Peter's saying to the group of people with the idea of how do you live in the world but not become a part of the world, right? Like how do you become a change maker in a world that wants to change you? Here's what he says. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. So if you're following along in, in your Bible or on your phone, That's something that you should underline and highlight because it's the spirit of how Jesus talked to his disciples. It's the spirit of how he wants us to live. In this world, we're supposed to live as foreigners and exiles, right? Which would change the decisions we make in our life. To abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul to live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. So let's just pause for a second. So part of what Peter's trying to say is a couple different things. Living different starts with a foundational mindset, right? The foundational mindset of being this. If you wanna live different, you better decide where your home is right? Like if we haven't made a decision on our home, right? If we don't know where we're going or where our home is, you will live as if this is your home, not as a foreigner or an exile, but as a part of the world. And he's challenging them to say, don't try to get better. You can't do it. Does that make sense? Like you just can't do it. You can't have this is my home and this is my home, it's one or the other. You can't, you can't pick, you know, like somewhere in between. This will either be your home or that will be your home. So he says, live as a foreigner in exile. And if you do, so if you are living as if your home is somewhere else, here's what's gonna happen. The way that you live your life will be, get this, so different that pagan people, will glorify God at the end of when Jesus comes back to visit them. Not because, listen to me, people aren't getting saved because you came to church today. The world isn't changing because we worship him on Sunday and live in the world on Monday. The world will be changed because of the way you live your life, period. Now I want you to think about this because I'm just gonna challenge you because I want you to think about this because I've been thinking about this all week. What are the good deeds that he says that a world would recognize as different? You ever think about that? Because there are a lot of people that don't love Jesus that do good things. Isn't that true? In fact, sometimes I think people who say they love Jesus are way worse than pagan people (laughs) because they say they're doing good things or they do it for manipulation or they do it. Nobody knows any of those people. You know what I mean? Like they claim Christ, but they would stab you in the back tomorrow. (laughs) You know. So the idea is what would it be that would be so different in you that the world would take notice and be like, That's something that is not like anything that I've ever seen, right? Because he's saying, those good deeds are going to be the things that are gonna change the world. So he gives us an example, which I think is somewhat of an extreme example, but he says, like here is something that you would do that the world would look at and say, what are you doing? Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor or supreme authority. I don't know if you get this, but do you know who the emperor was at the time? Nero. Do you know what Nero was doing to Christian people at the time? Killing them. Okay. No anybody see the extreme in this? Like if you wanna live different, you have to honor, not agree with, somebody who will kill you. Nah. Let's be honest. Who's doing that, right? Like who's honoring somebody that we, in authority, think about this. Are we honoring people in authority that we even just disagree with? Come on, I'm saying me personally, no, right? Like sometimes the people in authority, I don't not only not wanna honor them, I mean, anybody see our governmental system sometimes? I mean, come on, don't you like, not only do I not want to honor them, there's a whole lot of other things that I would like to be able to do, but somebody whose home is somewhere else, he's saying, this is a big change, a big difference. And that's why I said, I think he went to the extreme to make us understand even on the small things, like how we need to be able to live differently. Because he says, submit yourselves to every human authority, whether to the emperor as, as uh, the supreme authority, to your governors who are sent uh, to him to punish those who do wrong and commend them who do right. For it is God's will, right? So talking about how are we clear on what's God's will? It's God's will that by doing good, right? Back to good deeds, things that nobody else does. You will silence the ignorant talk of the foolish people live as free people, but do not choose to use your freedom as a cover-up for evil, live as, a, uh, live as God's slaves, show proper respect to everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, and honor the emperor. And so he ends it with this idea, just that alone, right? Live as free people, show proper respect to everyone, love the family of believers, which we would think that that would be easy, but do you know how many times inside of churches, We're not even loving our own, right? Like, not only, you know, it doesn't mean you have to agree with him. It doesn't mean you have to be best friends with him. It doesn't mean that you have to to even understand him. But the idea that in the diversity of a church, right, of all the different scopes of where people come from, are we loving them? right? Because he says the people that will live different will live free, they'll show proper respect, they'll love a family of believers, they'll fear God, and they'll honor their authority. So I want to set it up with just remembering this. If we're going to make the right decisions, we're going to have to make sure where our home is, because there is no way, no way possible. You are going to make decisions to live differently if, it's, if it interrupts your home life that make sense? Like, it's going to be hard for you. If we're we're going to walk out of here because we're going to talk about five tests today and ways that you're going to be tested. You're never going to be able to pass the test if this is your home. You're just not. Like, you're going to come up against these tests and you're going to come up against this crossroad and you're going to weigh out where your home is. And if your home is here, you will not be able to pass the test. That's just the way that it is. Right? So he says, let's establish something. This isn't your home. So when these tests are coming, you're gonna be able to make decisions to be able to move you forward in that. So now let's go to Daniel three, because this is the test, right? So we're gonna be reading about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the fiery furnace, right? A big, uh, I think, even for people that have been on the edge of Christianity, you know, or even haven't been to church, you might even watch Veggie Tales with your kids, right? Or you might've seen it somewhere, because this is a story that's told, uh, you know, all the time over and over again. And in Daniel three, it's the idea of these three men were tested, right? Now, let me give you the, the, the quick reminder. So remember what Daniel one was? Daniel 1 was, is that they brought in all of the young people and they brought in all of the leadership and they said, we need to change this generation and turn them into Babylonians. And remember, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, his buddy said, we're not going to do it. We're going to eat differently. We're not going to worship your God. Test us in all of this. And you know what the cool thing was in, in Daniel 1? When after the time of testing was over, they were seen as 10 times better than everybody else, right? Through their tests. Then you get to Daniel two, right? So now you gotta figure out how you're gonna live it out. So that was a stance in the beginning, but how are you gonna be able to live it out? Daniel two is King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, right? And his his guys can't interpret the dream and he's getting ready to execute them. Like if you guys can't interpret my dream, somebody says, well, you know, Daniel can interpret dreams. Why don't you go to him? Daniel comes, says, you know, Let let me pray on it. He goes back with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego because here's the deal. If nobody interprets this dream, all of of, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar's court, right? All of his higher ups, all of his astrologers are gonna get killed. So Daniel goes back. He prays with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. What does God have to say? God reveals the dream. He goes back to King Nebuchadnezzar and says, this is the dream and the dream was right and all four of them were promoted into high positions in Babylon. Still, think about this, still worshipers of God, right? Put into high positions in the kingdom of Babylon. Now, here's the thing. So they were put in those positions, but those positions, because those positions gave them a lot of influence, it gave them a lot of money, gave them a lot of power, gave them a lot of what, we would see as comfortable things, but every time you're given the creature comforts of the world, God is gonna test you to see where your home is. This is Daniel 3, right? Daniel 3 is this idea of now this testing comes and how then they pass the test. So Daniel 3, I'm gonna read all the way through it, so bear with me. We're gonna read all the way through it, and then we're gonna look at the five tests that he gives. So Daniel 3, starting in verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high, six cubits wide, and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. That's just to say it was a big, big, big statue. He then summed up, uh, summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all of the other uh, provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image that he had set up. So. The satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other uh, provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image of King Nebuchadnezzar had set up and they stood before it. The heralds, somebody comes out, this this, uh, is a person not by name, but somebody's gonna come out and proclaim, yell loudly uh, this, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, of the flute, desire, the, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image, of the, gold, the, uh, the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will be immediately thrown into the blazing furnace, the test, right? So as soon as the music goes, All of these people, if you can imagine, hundreds of thousands of people gathered together. As soon as the music goes, everybody just has to bow down. As long as you don't bow down, you know, you could be the guy in the back row or the guy in the front row. You could be a guy that's just doing it not to get thrown in the fiery furnace or somebody who really loves King Nebuchadnezzar. But at the end of the day, as long as you bow, you're good. Okay, so at this time, some of the astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews, right? They said uh, to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. What a butt kisser. So like, (laughs) these were people that were like, they were about ready to get executed before. And so then they go into, you know, like, I'd say kissing butt. But anyway, may the king live forever. Your uh, majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flutes, either... Liar, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall and worship the image of gold. And whoever does not fall down and will worship will be thrown into the blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you've set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Who are they? Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of the gold that you have set up. Just a quick pause. Think about this, not only are they butt kissers, who just saved these guys life? If the dream wouldn't have been interpreted, these guys would have been dead, so now they are kissing the butt of the king and ratting out the people that saved them, right? Surrounded themselves, right? Get people that can get me out of a problem, but as soon as they can't get me out of a problem and I can move up on the ladder, just make any sense for anybody, right? Like you use people to get what you want and when you don't need them anymore, right? You move them into a different place. That'll come up later, but that's what he does. In furious rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, So these men were brought before the king and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego that you do not serve my God uh, or worship the image of gold that I have set up? Now, here's your chance. Now you're gonna get a chance. I brought you in front of everybody. You can fix the problem. Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe and all kinds of music, if you are ready, fall down and worship the image I made. uh, uh, The image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. Then what God will, uh, what God will be able to rescue you from my hand, right? So he's giving them a second chance to see who they're gonna worship. Big part of the scripture, a big part of the way that we should live our lives, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Uh, if you are thrown... If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from the majesty's hand. Now here's the other part of it. But, right, like this is a, like I don't think we wanna just glass over this. But, even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of the gold that you have set up. Like I think that just takes a pause for a second. Like there's in front of them a furnace that for sure is gonna burn you up, for sure, right? And that you could walk up with, now think about this, the confidence to be able to say these things. Nope, you gave me a second chance, I'm not gonna serve. And I believe this, that my God could deliver me But if I don't, it doesn't matter. I love him anyway. Now that, again, seems to make sense. But in, in the economy of Christianity today, that doesn't make sense. We tend to serve a God who can deliver us from our problems, but be mad at a God that can't. We tend to be, God, I know you can do it, but if you don't, do you not love me anymore? Do you not hear me anymore? Do you not understand the plight? I mean, isn't this cool that they could get to the place where they're saying, it doesn't matter to me. How do you get there? This wasn't their home. Alive or dead meant nothing to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Do you see that? How do you get to the place in front of a fiery furnace that delivered or not delivered, it doesn't really matter? The same way when you get in front of a fiery furnace, when you get in front of a test, when you get to these places, you know how you can make that decision with confidence to walk into certain death? Because what's death but a new beginning? Right? Now tell me like, here's the funny thing. I mean, we all wanna be like, yes. But you know how hard that is to think through that? You know how hard it is to think about that as a new beginning? But this is the foundation that they could build off to be able to go through the test. It's the foundation that you're gonna have to be able to build on to be able to go through the test. So here's what he says then. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitudes toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in the army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes were bound and thrown into a blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men firmly tied fell into the blazing furnace. And then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there just three men uh, that were tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. But King Nebuchadnezzar says, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound, unharmed, and the fourth looks like the son of God's. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants. See how his tune changed all of a sudden. Servants of what? The most hi God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head uh, singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then King Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. Now, Again, get this in your mind. This is a ruler that is trying to take over a generation of people with a mindset. And when we're talking about how are we gonna change the world? You ever think about this? I'll never be able to change that person's mind. You know, you've been asking, you've been praying about, you've been talking, like, that person is so shut off. So shut off. Like they're never gonna hear. They're never gonna come. They're never going to do. You know what he's gonna teach you? throughout all of this series is the testimony of your lives, not the words of your mouth, can change the hardest people in the world. Listen, like this is what he says next. I mean, I don't know what, again, how Nebuchadnezzar, but if he at least gets to this point, right? That they trusted in him and defied the king's commands and were willing to give up their lives rather than to serve or worship any God except their own. Therefore, I decree this, that the people of every nation language say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be cut into pieces and their house will be turned into a pile of rubble for no other God can save in this way. The king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the province of Babylon. Do you see it? The testimony of their life proved to a hardened man that there is no other God like the God that we serve. Now, the big question for us is: is that what the world sees? <laughs> it's the testimony of our life into a world proof that there is no other God like him. Right? That's, that's this whole idea. That's the foundation of living differently because. This would tell us that you could take the most hardened man who had a plan to overthrow the entire world and turn everybody into a worshiper of him and somehow, because of the testimony of three men at one moment, change the mind of the hardest man in the world. So here's all I would say to you. So when we go through these things, there are gonna be a lot of things that I think are challenging. They're challenged for me, this whole week putting together this message. I mean, I'm thinking some of these tests are hard to deal with. But do we believe that if we pass the test, if we go down these roads, that that's what the world's looking for? Right? Do we believe that us living differently can change those things? So here's the five tests that they were put through and the five tests that I think we are put through. So that's this idea of historical Babylon, here's their test. Babylon in the world that we're dealing with today, here's our test, right? And here's the first one that they went, went with. It's the test of who's your king and where's your kingdom? right? Who's your king and where's your kingdom? This is what Nebuchadnezzar, right? And all of the people had to make a decision. Who's, who's our king? right we have to get to a place where we decide who are you going to this is what's so important who are you going to order your life around right that that's the so when we talk about who's our king right th- this is a hard thing to think about because i think the one thing that we do is you're thinking i mean who's my king like nobody's my king right well that's even a bigger problem because then you're the king does that make sense but like, you don't get to be the king either. <laughs> you know, you don't, you don't get to say like, you know, I'm not gonna be a slave to the lender. Like, I'm not gonna let, you know, the bank be my king. I'm not gonna let my boss be my king. I'm not gonna let somebody else rule my life. I'm not gonna be those things. And then what you do is don't let anybody else be the king so you can. So you order your life not around. Like, I'm free from nobody else is telling me what to do. But is God telling you what to do? Do you order your life? Because I've always said this, like, you know, people struggle with this because um, like I gotta, everybody's gotta go to work and everybody's gotta do their job and everybody's got all of these things you need to do, all these, I've always said, if, if, if you go through, whether you're a young person, so whether you're in high school or whether you're, you know, you're out and you're adulting in life, I say every single person has 50 hours of discretionary time in a week. You take 168 hours and you start taking out sleep and food and like all of this other stuff. I would say that you get six to seven hours of your day that's discretionary, right? Like you get to make a choice of what you do because people are like, well, I don't know. I can't really do anything. Like, I know God wants to meet. I got all these other things to do. No, there is a time that you get to make a decision. And the question is, what are you ordering your life around? For all of your discretionary time, What are you doing? I mean, one of the things that God tells you to do is you know why you're on this earth? You know why you're still here? So the high school people, you know why you have discretionary time? Not so you can be on your phone. You ever think about that, guys? You ever, young people ever think about this? You ever look at your phone and see how much time you waste on it? Is it very much? So all the old people are gone. Mm-hmm. and all the young people are like, get off me, what's the big deal? Like, I, I just want us to think, because we're no different, right, like older people just have other ways to waste time, right, so if it's not on a phone, it's, a, it's at the TV, or if it's not on a phone, it's doing something else. The question is, you are on this earth for one reason, and one reason only, to build relationships with people, to raise them up and equip them, or reach him for Jesus. If I looked at your week and it was ordered by God, I would see that. The problem is, that's not a lot of people's week. Now I'm guilty of this, right? I don't have time, I'm too busy, there's too many. Anybody else get this way? There's too many things to do, too many places to go, too many irons in the fire. We run from here and we run to there and then we go to here and you check so many things off the list and you are so busy and you're getting it done, but you're not getting anything done on purpose. Am I the only one who struggles with this? Nobody else gets like busy, right? Where you get going all over the place and you miss the point. To get it right, our test is this, when you set up your week, you should do this, everybody should do this. When you go home today, you have a chance to set up your entire week. Some of it's work, some of it's devotional time, some of it is you know, you gotta eat, some of it is you gotta sleep, some of it is you have some of these responsibilities, but for the time that you have, here's the question. God tells you to do two things. Be in community, be around other people with a purpose. That's what he tells you to do. Are you in community? right? And are you in relationship with people to influence them for Christ? That's another thing I ask you to do. And are you raising up a generation? Are you building into young people? And I say young people, this is older to younger to younger. To, so if you're in high school, what are you doing to people that are for younger than you? Right? Where are you building? Where are you doing? Whatever that looks like. When we do that, right, then we can say, you know where our, you know who my king is? Jesus. You know where my kingdom is? not here, because if you order your life that way, people are gonna be like, what are you doing, right? That doesn't make any sense, right? So the first test, where's your king? Where's your kingdom? Here's the next test, right? Who will you worship or where is your worship, right? Now, worship is a funny thing, right? Because we think worship is singing. Worship is where you show the affection of your heart for all of your week. That's what worship is, right? Worship is where you show the affection. You know what the crazy thing, you know what scripture says? You can only worship God alone. Like you don't get to, right? Like you can love other people, but you can't worship your job. You can't worship your spouse. You can't worship your career. You can't worship money. You can't worship your kids. You can't do it. You can love it. You can be a part of it. But your worship, your affection, your life is centered around him and him only. That's what worship really is, right? And that's where our worship should be. And I would say in this test, I think this test is a hard one. If you're really honest, I ask myself this this week, this is all this is, so just, you know, some revelation? <laughs> this, this is how part of it was for me. I sat there and thought, what, what are the things that I worship, right? What are the things that I would put my affection to that would take me away from full affection towards God, right? You know what one of them was? Money. And it doesn't mean that when you have a bunch of it, like I worship it because I have a bunch of it because you don't got any of it. Anybody? Like it's a struggle, right? And so you, you do everything, put your, you know, you say it's not affection, but it is affection because you're ordering everything around those things. You're saying that will make me whole and happy and better. That's me. I don't know what it is for you, but you put your you you give affection to what you think fills a gap or a void or something inside of your life. When your worship, we do it with our kids. I mean, I remember growing up, right? Like you want to pour your life into your children. You want to do all these things for your children. But sometimes loving your kids can turn into worshiping your kids. I've said it from the beginning, like you can love your wife, you can love your husband, you can't worship him. He cannot be more important than Jesus. Wives, listen to me. You have to love Jesus more than you love your husband. He will never fill you, never fill you, never give you everything that you need, never. If you want your cup to overflow and you're expecting it from your husband, (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying, guys, if you want to love your wife well, like if she keeps like, I need you, I need you, she doesn't need you. She needs you to love Jesus more. She does. She needs you to be so full that in the presence of your relationship, there is an overflowing that's unexplainable. You don't got it, but he does, right? Like that's the idea. When we worship right, these things go right. So it's a test of our worship. They had to decide what they're gonna worship. Here's the next one, test of your relationships. Who are you in relationship with? Now I would say, if you look at what scripture says, here's what scripture says very clearly. If you are living differently, than other people, there will be attention till the day that you die in relationship with people who are not living like you. That makes sense? Right? Like living the way that God calls you to live and people going the other direction, somehow we think that we can just make that work in a relationship. You can't make that work. There will always be tension. You know why it says don't become unevenly yoked? Listen to me, young people, before you get married, I'm gonna say this here in just a second. As you're dating, you know why it tells you to make sure that, girls, to make sure that your future husband loves the Lord more as if not as equal as you do? Because you know why? Because when you get married, and you're living in a relationship, and you want no tension inside of your marriage, but your husband does not love the Lord as much as you do, you will have constant tension. Because you're gonna wanna live different. Come on, nobody's ever experienced this, right? Like you're gonna wanna live different, and they're gonna wanna live this way, and there's this constant Will you just come to church with me? Will you just do devotions with me? Will you just pray with me? Will you bring our kids? Will you lead our children? Will you do? Right? Wrong? Like there's gonna be that tension. That's why relationships, who you surround yourself with is so important. In fact, listen to what it says in Matthew 10, right? You don't have to go to this, but you should go back to it later. Here's what he says in Matthew 10, talking about relationships. Don't suppose, this is what Jesus says, don't suppose that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come, this is what he's talking about, relationally, to turn. A man against his father, a daughter against his mother, a daughter-in-law against his mother-in-law, a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Listen, he's saying this is the way relationships go, right? Right? He's not saying I'm gonna automatically turn you against your father and mother, but if your father and mother don't love Jesus and you do, there will be tension. And the idea is not to make peace. Does that make sense? The idea is not to give in or change your lifestyle so they're happy. The idea is what we've just said in scripture, live differently with the hopes that they see Jesus. Right? That's the whole idea in scripture. Wives, there's hope, right? If your husband isn't where he needs to be, scripture says, Peter says, live like you love Jesus and your husband might come to Christ because of your example. Isn't that cool? Right, like there's an example that can be given, but relationally, think about friendships for a second. This, a lot of times friendships in the world today are very transactional. Anybody ever had friends like that before? Like they're friends with you as long as you can get what they want or give them what they want. A couple of you have had some friends like that. Do you remember in the story, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they help the people not die and then they're getting ratted out the next day, <laughs> right? They're getting ratted out the next day. Like that's this idea of like relationship 101. Like you need to surround yourself with people that aren't gonna be just there whenever it comes to you know, the idea of, of getting what they want. Here's the other thing. Who should you be friends with? Okay. When I say friends, I'm not saying you can be friends or acquaintance with a lot of different people, but who should you be friends with? Somebody that will challenge you to be the best version that God has made you to be. You see, you know why we don't ever pass this test? You know what the biggest problem is? Nobody wants to hear the hard truth. You know why it doesn't work inside of marriage sometimes, relationships? Because you don't want to hold each other accountable for what God's called you to be. We just give up. You know why it doesn't work in relationships sometimes? Because we sit in a mentoring relationship and you have, you know what? You need to live differently. You know what, the way you're living is absolute garbage. Stop being a baby, pull up your bootstraps. Stop whining about what you think is wrong with you. Get in the game. You're like, you shouldn't talk to me that way. It's so mean and I mean, come on, this is just being love and stop being so mean on these things. You need somebody. Anybody, you need somebody. You need somebody that can look across the room and say the way that you're living to today and the choices that you're making today aren't right. And you better be able to hear it. If you wanna pass the test and you wanna live different, then you better surround yourself with somebody who can challenge you. But the problem in our world and our culture today is we're running away from those tests. We're just running away from those people. Find those people in your life. Here's the next one, test of your doubt and fears. Knowing this, right? Here's the idea. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went into that with, they had to go into that with this idea of like, I mean, it's still a fiery furnace. Come on, right? Like it's still a fiery furnace. It's still, I might lose my life. Doubts and fears come in. The question isn't whether we have doubts and fears. It's where you take them. You are gonna have doubts and fears in your life. It's just where we take those doubts and fears and how we land on those doubts and fears, right? That's, that's the thing that we gotta be able to, to, to live with. And I won't go any further because we're running out of time. So worship team, you guys wanna come back up. Here's the last one, okay? Here's the last one. Okay, because I wanna make sure we get this because this is the ultimate, right, change or the thing that we need to look at, the test of your actual life. Now, this one's gonna be hard from the standpoint of, like if we look at it from their standpoint, like how many people are getting thrown into the fiery furnace today in Huntington, Indiana or Wabash or Fort Wayne or Columbia City? How many people are going to work saying, if you don't bow down, we're gonna lop your head off. Right? Like there ain't much of that happening, right? So when we sit there and say, well, I don't know if I could, I mean, I don't know where I would be. And it's really true. You don't know where, where you would be. You have no idea. You can say, like, I would stand in front of a firing squad. I would get my head lopped off. I would allow any of these things to happen. I'm gonna die for God. Like, I know we wanna say that, but do we really know that? You see, I wanna challenge you with this. If you have a faith that's never been tested, is it really faith at all? It's just a question. If we say that we have faith because here, here's what I want to I want to challenge you for just a second and hope this is okay. because here's part of the problem, right? Like in my opinion, this is part of the problem. We want all of the feels. Like you wanna come in on Sunday and you wanna be like, man, I walked away so challenged and I walked away and there was this like mm, inside of me that something's gotta be different. But you know where the problem is? You want feels without formation. And here's what I'm talking about. You know what formation looks like? Formation means that God needs to throw you in the fire because something needs burn off. You need to fire. You need to be chiseled away. You need to hurt for a second because there's something in you that's binding you up. Did you see that? This is the coolest thing. I love this imagery. You know what they went into the fire with? Two strong men bound him up. Bound him up. You know what got burnt away in the fire? The bondage. The bondage. Now think about this. Every time I think through this, nobody, in this room would choose the fire. Nobody in this room, I mean, if you've been through struggles in your life, you're not asking for another one. Right? But here's what I'll pray. This is for me. This is personal for me today. This whole week I've been processing some of these things. And I do think that there's some things in the world that it bound me up, and that I've tried with all of my might to untie, cut loose, <laughs> gnaw at. Anybody? I got these things that I just can't get free from. I got these thoughts that keep running through my mind. I got these fears that keep coming back. I got these things that I can't, can't get over. i gnawing away. God says, just step into the fire. We'll burn them away because you want, he wants from you more than anything is freedom. Freedom from the bondage of this world, freedom from the things that are keeping you from being the person that God has called you to be. And if it means you have to go in a fiery furnace to get freed up, jump in, jump in, allow yourself to be tested. Allow the things to be burnt away because being bound up is way worse than jumping in the fire and living free because you get, you know, what's so cool about this? I want you to think about this. Who was in the fire? You want to go where God is? You want to go where the angels are? You wanna go where you can get freed up? You wanna go where the bonds are gonna get, the binds are gonna get taken away? You wanna be an overcomer? You wanna be at a place where you wanna be where he is? He was in the fire, and when they went in the fire, the testimony of their life, the bonds coming off, when they walked out, the world was changed. And that's what I want for each one of us. That's what I want personally. That's what I wanna be able to do. So as we sing this last song, this woman gonna challenge you. You want to come to the front? You want to kneel at the aisle that you're in? You want to stand up? You just want to raise your hands and proclaim this like, I need I need freedom. I need freedom. Do you need somebody to pray with you? Come to the front, we'll pray with you. Somebody in the back, we'll pray with you. Somebody will find you and pray with you. But when we sing this, can we process those things? Can we get freedom? Can we pass the test and can we live different? Will you stand so I can pray for you? Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you. And Lord, I pray that as we process living differently in our lives, Lord, that we will understand that that these tests are tests that we're facing every single day. Lord, we want you to be our king. We want our kingdom to be somewhere else. We wanna make sure that we're worshiping you and you alone. Lord, we wanna make sure that our relationships and our friendships are ones that are building us up and keeping us accountable. Lord, take away our doubt and fear. We give it to you. And Lord, most of all, if we need to step into the furnace today to be free, let's get free, because you're in the fire, Lord. We love you, and we pray. Amen.